This podcast is presented by All Copy Products, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals. Learn more at allcopyproducts.com. To the 15, to the 10, Murray's going to score, touchdown! Welcome to the Cardinals Red Sea Report. Slammed to the ground by Buda Baker. Like a torpedo, he came flying into the backfield. Connor to the 10, to the 5, and into the end zone for the touchdown! The Cardinals Red Sea Report is brought to you by Arizona Cardinals Podcast. Visit azcardinals.com slash podcast. Here we go. One-handed catch and a touchdown. Oh, baby. How's that feel? Here's Craig Grealou, Paul Calvisi, and three-time pro bowler Kyle Vandenbosch. So today's show, gentlemen, is brought to you by the number two. As in, two teams will battle out on Sunday at State Farm Stadium in Super Bowl 57. That would be the Chiefs and Eagles. And then, reportedly, two finalists for the head coaching position. And I'll be honest with you, Kyle, here we are in week five. I did not expect to be talking about a head coaching search this late into the offseason, but that's where we are. And to a certain extent, I'm okay with that. Yeah, I think initially, um, you know, there's a bit of a sense of urgency because you're competing against a bunch of other teams for whichever candidates are out there. And now um, that some of the other teams have filled their roles, um, you know, there's only one other head coaching position open. Um, The Cardinals, you know, while there's always urgency in the NFL, there's always a sense of we've got to make progress. We've got to get the wheels turning. We've got to make some decisions for next season. At this point, I mean, it is vitally important that we get the right person as the head coach. And, and you know, again, to Mr. Bidwell, Michael Bidwell's credit, um, he is taking his time. He is giving the second interviews. He is leaving no stone unturned. And to me, that gives me confidence that, um, you know, we're going to get the right guy in here because I'm sure at this point all of the right questions have been asked. All of the, you know, potential scenarios have been run through everybody's heads and and all the you know stakeholders that are involved in this decision making process have had their input so um you know we will find out soon enough um but yeah it's uh i i think we all at this point wait with great anticipation to find out who it's going to be it's been a very deliberate process paul and i think with 11 candidates reportedly linked only one confirmed and that would be defensive coordinator Vance Joseph, who is no longer in consideration, according to reports. So at the start of the week, and this changes daily, it seems. I mean, at the start of the week, it was three finalists, including Brian Flores. He has since accepted the job with the Minnesota Vikings to be their D.C. So you've got, according to reports, Lou Anarumo, the Bengals defensive coordinator, and Mike Kafka, the Giants offensive coordinator, with Zoom interviews later this week. Second interviews. Yeah, Kafka reportedly today, Anarumo reportedly on Friday, but in reverse order of, uh, shall we say, elimination in the process, Brian Flores, for example, he went through three offensive coordinators during his short tenure with the Miami Dolphins, and his track record with Tua wasn't great. In fact, one of the big stories this year was Mike McDaniel restoring the confidence of Tua Tagovailoa based on the scorched earth that was left behind from the previous coaching regime. So I'm not sure Brian Flores was the best fit with the Cardinals. Were there attractive aspects of his coaching resume? Absolutely. And then even this morning, I'm watching Good Morning Football on NFL Network, and Peter Schrager said, and I quote, it was Denver all along when it came to Sean Payton. So was Sean Payton even negotiating in good faith with Carolina 
and the Cardinals? Was he trying to leverage these other teams? I don't think Sean Payton was ever a realistic possibility anyway, at least based on the reporting from Peter Schrager. So you know what? Maybe you're right where you need to be with these two finalists. Honestly, when you scan the landscape, you know, Dan Quinn and, you know, and, and, and others who, you know, and then the recent ones who were eliminated are Brian Callahan and Aaron Glenn. I think they're both pretty green and maybe not ready to be head coaches. Everything we've heard, for example, about Anna Rumo is he really commands the room. And what has Drew Stan said on this? And you've echoed it too, Kyle, right? It's one thing to be a great coordinator, the X's and O's. Are you a leader of men? That's, I think, ultimately who the job goes to. You want someone to command respect, whether that's in your position room or ultimately walking the sideline, being that head coach. And let's we've got two finalists again, according to reports. Let's start with Mike Kafka. And you talked about Paulie, what Mike McDaniel was able to do with Tua. Well, you've brought it up with Kafka and Brian Dayball, what they did with Daniel Jones this past season. Now, the youth of Kafka, thirty-five. He'll be 36 when the season begins. Does not have that head coaching experience previously, which is something that I was preferenced I wanted to see. I'm not going to get that. I'm okay with it. But Kafka's been in the league. He's been elevated from quality control coach to quarterbacks coach to passing game coordinator, whether it was with the Chiefs and then his first season with the Giants. So you've got someone who has the experience working with a Patrick Mahomes and obviously this past season with Daniel Jones. He was the play caller this year with the Giants. Look what the Giants did. I mean, was there any team that went from worst to first like the New York Giants? Not necessarily in the division, but in terms of getting into the playoffs, they were one of the five of the ten teams the new head coaching candidates where, boom, they were able to make the postseason. And look, there's a huge age discrepancy between 35-year-old Mike Kafka and 56-year-old Lou Anarumo. I get it. But Kyle, you tell me, if you're the guy and you're going to be a future star, then you know what? A lot of times it shows itself. Doesn't matter if you're 30 year old Sean McVay, 34 year old Mike Tomlin. If you're equipped to be a head coach, a lot of times, you know what? You're equipped in your 30s just as easily as you would have been in your 50s. No, you're exactly right. And I think a lot of us are looking at which boxes do these two guys check? Which boxes did all these candidates check? And, you know, to me, it would be so interesting sitting in on this interview process because, again, we've talked about with Coach Kingsbury when he was here. He was a great offensive play caller. I mean, I feel like he came up with good game plans. Drew talked about how good his first 15 play scripts were, but being a head coach is so much more. And you, you got to get a feeling for that in this interview process. Like, okay, you know, what happens game day? This guy shows up and he's got the flu. How do you address this? How do you – how are you structuring practice in, in week seven? What does your off week look like? Um, you know, how, how do you view the draft? What type of players are you looking for? What type of scheme are you going to run? Who's going to fit this system? It's, there, there is so much more than even, I mean, look, you, the, the only thing we can look at at this point is their track record with the teams that they were on, with the offenses or defenses that they ran, with the players that they elevated. But to me, being a head coach is so much more than that. And that's what this interview process, that's why it takes long. That's why you don't jump on somebody and hire them day one of this process unless you're certain, unless you've worked with this person, unless you've seen them and understand how they run a team. Because running a team and being the head coach, everything everything falls on your desk and you've got to be decisive and you've got to know what to do in those situations. And so probably as important 
as the players you've worked with, it's the coaches you've worked with and the systems you've been in and the organizations you've been in and how they've run things and how you would do things and how you would do things differently and what your vision is. I mean, look, this Arizona Cardinals team is in a unique situation with the turnover in the roster, with um, you know players, uh, with with the high draft position. So you've got to run all of these things by this coaching candidate and be comfortable with how they view things. And then you've just got to let them run with it as soon as they're hired. So um, this process, you know, it's it's coming to its end. And, you know, again, to me, I feel good about the fact that it's taken this long. You don't feel like this was a knee-jerk reaction. You don't feel like uh, this was a move that was made just to get the biggest name out there on the market. We're looking for the right guy for this situation to lead this team for the next several years. One of those organizations that Kafka did work with previously – well, team that's currently in town, the Kansas City Chiefs, and you can't ask for a better endorsement than what Kafka received last night. Super Bowl opening night, quarterback Patrick Mahomes offered this assessment on the Giants' offensive coordinator. Coach Kafka is a special person and a special coach, and um, he, he kind of took me when he first got here. He was quality control, and that was my first year as a rookie, and so I spent a lot of hours with Coach Kafka where he was teaching me the playbook and teaching me how to become a quarterback in the NFL, um, and that continued for a long time, and I knew right when he left here he was going to be a head coach somewhere soon, and so uh, I know he's down there in Arizona, and if he gets hired there, he'll, he'll get that place turned around, and uh, he's a great coach and a great person as well, so I'm excited for him. Again, Patrick Mahomes last night, Super Super Bowl opening night, that audio courtesy Arizona Sports 98.7 FM. And Kafka, not only with the Arizona Cardinals, though, Paulie, he's been a hot name this entire coaching cycle. Interviewed with the Colts, the Panthers, and Texans. So this is an up-and-coming name. And when you talk about up-and-coming names, everyone points back to Sean McVay. You get that young prodigy as far as an offensive-minded coach, and then you don't have to worry about losing them the next season or the year after that. Think about the compelling case he can make in that interview room with what he did with Daniel Jones in that Giants offense. Did they have a great offensive line coming into this year? No. Did they have an all-star cast of receivers? Absolutely not. Daniel Jones was a turnover machine his first three years in the league. And then all of a sudden this year, to play that caliber of ball, the before and after of Daniel Jones, who has taken five spots after Kyler Murray in the same draft, that's a compelling case. You can sit there and you can look Michael Bidwill and Monty Austin Ford in the eye, and you have a documented case study of what you just did with the Giants offense. A lot of the same problems right now the Cardinals are facing, starting with that quarterback and getting him turned around. And having worked with a Patrick Mahomes and now a Daniel Jones and what he's done, I think it just makes such a compelling, intriguing case if you're the Arizona Cardinals. And remember the reason they hired Cliff Kingsbury. If you don't hire the offensive guy and you get a really talented offensive coordinator, guess what? He's gone in a year or two. So the same reasoning and thinking and logic might be in play here, ultimately, if you're trying to decide between a defensive-minded head coach and an offensive-minded head coach. And Kafka knows the position. Former Northwestern quarterback spent six seasons in the NFL. Our quarterback, Drew Stanton, last week here on the Cardinals Red Sea Report, had this to say on Mike Kafka. Look, I think you've got to get ahead of the curve, especially somebody like Mike Kafka that played at Northwestern, uh, was in the Big Ten against him. I know him. We have the same agent. I know Mike Kafka 
look at what he did when he took over in Kansas City to help Patrick Mahomes. Patrick Mahomes even talks about how good he is. That's a reputable source, right, to be able to do that. You subplant him and you take him over when there was so many question marks in New York about what's going to happen with Daniel Jones. Is he worth getting paid? Is he doing any of this, right? You take an offensive mind, a guy that has a disposition to him, and he has the ability to have an effect wherever he goes. Mike Kafka is that guy. And when you identify that guy, right, wrong, or indifferent, you go all in on him, much like Sean McVay, right? There's just guys that are uh, cut above the rest or different. It all goes back to your franchise quarterback. In this case, Kyler Murray. And to get him back to where he was just a year ago, halfway through that season, an MVP candidate before, or actually I'm talking about two years ago, not just prior the season, but in 2020, and getting him back to where he was. Kyler Murray, a subject on many people's minds with respect to this head coaching candidate and this head coaching search. Larry Fitzgerald, Fox 10, asked Fitz about the upcoming head coach and what they need to do with K-1. Whoever they hire, they have some good bones. You know, obviously Kyler Murray is one of the you know, most talented players in the game and unfortunately coming off a, you know, a significant knee injury. But, you know, the future is bright. You know, when you have a quarterback that can win you football games like he can, um, you know, I think you're in a lot better position. Always about the quarterback, right, Kyle? Because that's where you're at in this league. You need to have that quarterback, Patrick Mahomes, Jalen Hurts, two teams now with quarterbacks for Years now in Kansas City and Philadelphia, respectively. It always comes back to the QB. I know as a defensive guy, you don't like to hear that, but that's where we are in the National Football League. Oh, it really was. That's why I was paid to try to take the QB <laughs> out, right? Um, no, I, I completely agree. Uh, I agree with Drew. I agree with Larry. I agree with Paulie. I mean, look, we've we've got to find somebody that can help Kyler get to that next level. And we've seen glimpses of of really how special he is and how he can take the entire team and put it on his back. But to me, you know, just reaching further, like we can't hire a head coach just for Kyler Murray. Like we've got to find somebody that elevates everybody on this roster, that finds the right spot and uses players in the right way. And, you know, it's not just Daniel Jones this year. You look at the how well Saquon Barkley was utilized this year and having, you know, using his potential and, and how effective it was using him in this offense. And I think that's an important aspect as well. Like, you know, we've, we've got to find the right guy for Kyler because Kyler is a special, special talent. We've all seen what he can do with his arms. We've all seen what he can do with his legs, how good he is when he's improvising on offense. But to me... You know, the thing that's been missing is just a conventional offense, like putting together a drive where plays build off of each other, where you establish the run game to set up the play action pass and and everything seems to work. And and that is what, you know, again, we're looking at in this interview process. But a guy like Mike Kafka, who as the offensive coordinator didn't just elevate Daniel Jones, he elevated that entire offense and made them a capable offense, an offense that the year before looked abysmal that looked terrible and you know he he elevated that entire offense and not just Daniel Jones what we don't know Paul though about Kafka is does he come in play caller or is it offensive coordinator defensive coordinator when you have someone so young his connections across the league 
Like, for example, Brian Dable came in from Buffalo, took over the Giants, and he delegated play calling to Mike Kafka. Nick Sirianni came in, and he has you know gone ahead and said, Shane Steichen, you call the play. So it's interesting. These guys got the job ostensibly because of their offensive minds, their ability to call plays, design and initiate an offense through the quarterback, but then they became the CEO. They outsourced that aspect. So you're right. Here's the other thing we don't know. Luan Arumo, who's his offensive coordinator? We don't know that answer. So if you want to reverse engineer it, and if you're thinking Kyler, with a $230 million investment, is the most important priority, well, Kafka himself might be the difference between Anarumo and whomever he has in mind is his OC. Again, this is week five now of the Arizona Cardinals coaching search of 2023, if you will. Two reported candidates, Mike Kafka and Lou Anarumo. We'll talk about Lou as we continue here. It is the Cardinals Red Sea Report presented by SeatGeek. Your ticket to great seats. The Cincinnati focus. Bengals defensive coordinator plus a little twist. Another retirement within the ranks of the Arizona Cardinals. We do it every Tuesday, 11 a.m. year-round. Craig Rio, Luke Avanibosh, and Paul Calvisi as this week with Super Bowl 57 in town. Coming to you from Arizona Sports 98.7 FM. Appreciate them allowing us to use their studios as the Eagles have invaded our home in Tempe. This is the Arizona Cardinals Radio Network. Hands off my stapler. to Cooper. He's going to throw it back to Blau at his 10-yard line. Blau looking deep, airing it out. Near sideline, jump ball caught by A.J. Green at the 35. Turns left to the 30. He's inside the 20, inside the 10, and Green is into the end zone for a touchdown. A trick play by the Cardinals. Farrow Cooper throwing it back to Blau. A jump ball to A.J. Green. And how about this? The Cardinals, less than a minute into the game, have the lead. David Blau throws the ball down the field to a covered A.J. Green, who high points the ball. What a great play by A.J. Green. And who knows, this could be his last game as a Cardinal or perhaps even in the NFL. Turns out Dave Pash was exactly right. The season finale in San Francisco, that A.J. Green 77-yard touchdown catch, the longest play from scrimmage, the longest scoring play of the season for the Arizona Cardinals, turns out to be the final game of A.J. Green's career. As we continue here on the Cardinals Red Sea Report, presented by SeatGeek, your ticket to great seats, Craig Rio, Luke Alvanibosh, and Paul Calvisi. AJ making the announcement official, posting a message on Instagram, and true to his words, for those of us that have been around him the past two seasons with the Cardinals or the prior 10 seasons with the Cincinnati Bengals, AJ Green's message, quote, I've never been a man of many words, so I'll keep this short. Thank you. And then he proceeded to thank the University of Georgia, the Cincinnati Bengals, and the Arizona Cardinals, quote, for the opportunity to pursue my dreams, end quotes. Twelve seasons in the National Football League and a tip of the cap to A.J. Green, Kyle, because perhaps it did not go his way this past season. His first season with the Arizona Cardinals, I think, was very, very good. But he established himself as one of the top wide receivers in those years with the Bengals. Top wide receiver, just a top uh, character guy. I mean, he's he's a guy you want in your locker room. It was he was never a me guy. He went out there, took care of his business, was an elite wide receiver for a number of years. And um, you know, I, I love 
his parting message that the league doesn't owe him anything and he's grateful for his opportunity and um, just just it was a joy having him as a part of the Cardinals. I mean, obviously he wasn't quite the same player that he used to be, didn't have quite the same effect that he did on games, but um, he was, uh, you know, he was loved in the locker room. You could see his mentorship to some of the young wide receivers in this offense, and and he will leave a legacy as he walks away from the game. Just one of those guys where you looked at him, you said, okay, this is what an NFL receiver looks like. A.J. Green, 6'4", the speed, the hands, just the dexterity. First receiver in NFL history to start a career with seven consecutive Pro Bowls. Part of that epic draft class that included Patrick Peterson right after A.J. Green at number five. A.J. Green went number four to the Bengals. You know, as Paulie Pencilneck, sideline reporter, there's always those matchups where you're like, okay, this is the point 0.1%. And when you used to see Patrick Peterson line up over A.J. Green, for example, you know those were the guys. And to your point, Craig, his first year with the Cardinals, it, it could, there could have been so much more production. And he owned it. Last offseason, he said, you know what, I left so much out there on the field. And I think he was truly looking forward to this year. So for whatever reason, it didn't materialize. The production wasn't there. There were expectations this year that I, I really thought – he was going to have a resurgent campaign. And like a lot of things, it just never happened. Well, you didn't see DeAndre Hopkins, Rondell Moore, Hollywood Brown on the yeah. field at all together. Yeah. And you have an A.J. Green there. And who knows what would have happened if everyone, including Kyler, had maintained their health. I mean, if I could get one answer to one question this year, what happened to the downfield passing game? That, that was just absent. All of this year, Kyler Murray ended up dead last in that category in terms of yards per pass attempt. What happened? Why did it happen? That's something that the team has to answer in the offseason. 12 years in the National Football League, his first 10 with the Cincinnati Bengals. And let's transition to the Bengals currently and the fact that their defensive coordinator, Lou Anarumo, is reportedly getting a second interview with the Arizona Cardinals later this week. He is the Bengals defensive coordinator. It's a position he's held the past four seasons. It's been a very good Bengals defense, especially the last couple of years. And we talk about endorsements. We heard from Patrick Mahomes earlier about Mike Kafka. How about Zach Taylor, Bengals head coach on his D.C.? Yeah, he'd be a great head coach. He's extremely smart. He's got the players' best interests in mind. He wants to put them in their best positions to succeed. It's not about this is the scheme and we're just going to do it, whether it fits the guys or not. He's constantly evolving it to make sure that we're putting our guys in position to do the things that, that hit their strengths. He does a great job adjusting over the course of the week, over the course of the game. Every week's a challenge, and he never blinks. I think the players feel that from him. I know I feel that from him. He's always going to be prepared and and give our guys a chance to go play well. Bengals head coach Zach Taylor, Bengals.com, audio talking about Lou Anarumo, who, again, potentially now you got a defensive-minded head coach for the Arizona Cardinals, Kyle, and it is a defense that has a lot of talents, whether or not he would maintain to be that defensive play caller or not. But someone who is 20 years older than Mike Kafka has been around the league, but this would be his first opportunity to be the man in charge, if you will. Yeah, I think, again, uh, you know, it'd be interesting to be a part of this interview process. I think the, the biggest question you, know, you ask is how much autonomy did he have with the defense? Was he basically a head coach of the defense? Because I've played for both. I've played for head coaches that micromanage D coordinators, and I've played for defensive coordinators that are essentially head coach to half of the team. And I think that's a huge asset. And, and you know, one of the things I love hearing about him is 
Um, you know, he's been called a mad scientist, and he he he's so good at uh, in-game adjustments, whereas he'll come out in the second half and and shut teams out. And to me, there's so much value. I think it's an, an undervalued asset of a coach, um, and a head coach specifically, is are they willing to scrap an entire week of practice, an entire game plan, because they're seeing something, because this other team is giving them something different than they – expected than they're used to seeing and the ability to adjust on the fly is the sign of a of a good coach period but it's certainly a good head coach because so many times throughout the course of a game things come up things unexpected you have an injury you have um you know a scheme that you haven't seen before and a team's trying to throw you a curveball your ability to adjust on the fly be decisive utilize uh players skill sets and put them in the right position to succeed and give your team the ability to succeed it is such a valuable asset for a coach and i love you know just hearing so many things about him about how he can really lead people and put them in the right position and and utilize everybody's abilities I'll borrow a line that you often use, Paul, adjust to the adjustments and what would Coach Lou do with an Isaiah Simmons, a Zaven Collins, Buda Baker, how far back or does he play closer to the line of scrimmage? There's a lot of different pieces on that defense. Yeah, the numbers, the end of the season metrics were not good, but there is young talent on that side of the ball. Staten Island Lou, that's his nickname, right? And I like the way he carries himself, his demeanor. And I, I like how he did more with less in terms of some of the players in that Bengals defense. If I went out into the streets right now, all the Super Bowl fans that are here in town in the AZ, and I said, name me two players on the Bengals defense. How many people do you think? You talk about D'Amico Ryans, who just got the job with the Texans. He had an all-pro at each level of his defense. Nick Bosa, Fred Warner, and then the safety's name I'm going to butcher. right? And so there were dudes on that Niners defense. Not necessarily the case in Cincinnati. But to your point, Kyle, they were buttoned up. The looks were very effective. What they did against Josh Allen in Buffalo, I mean, based on that, he's ready for a head coaching gig, at least to me. And what plagued the Cardinals last year? The little things became big things. And if you can get a head coach who's able to harp on the details, because in the NFL, guess what? Most games are decided by seven points or less. That's going to make the difference on the scoreboard at the end of the day. And too often, the Cardinals were their own worst enemy. Two words we don't want to hear anymore, self-inflicted. If Lou Anarumo is the guy to solve that, guess what? That's a huge vote in his favor. Well, let's hear from potentially the next Cardinals head coach, Lou Anarumo, on teaching, being detailed, courtesy Bengals.com. Try to make sure that uh, the guys understand that what we're giving them and what we're trying to teach them, we're going to be passionate about it and take out and eliminate all the gray. So what, what, they're going to know exactly what their job responsibilities are and, and make sure we're paying attention to detail. Come on, put your eyes on your work. Find a receiver. Find a receiver. Three hard steps to the ball. We understand that the players are in tough situations, and so we want to make sure that, A, we're getting these guys to play as hard and as fast as possible, uh, getting them to play with great passion and getting them to play for each other. You step out on the field this year and you say to yourself, I am better than all these dudes that are lining up across from me. I'm faster than them, I'm tougher than them, I'm going to be smarter than them because I'm going to play with leverage and don't stress, ever. 
Now, what we don't know about Mike Kafka, there is a little bit more known about Lou Anarumo as far as who he might potentially bring in as far as previous relationships. He did, Kyle, overlap with Vance Joseph in Miami, as well as Matt Burke. Sean Jefferson, the wide receivers coach that year in 2016, that they were all together. And those still, as we speak here on this Tuesday, VJ, Burke, and Jefferson still on that Cardinals coaching staff. Yeah, just by his his number of years of experience. Look, he knows people. He knows what he would be looking for um, at each position group, whether he brings in a defensive coordinator, uh, what he's looking for in an offensive coordinator. I mean, he knows exactly what he wants because he's been around this game for so long. Um, I love you know just hearing that last audio clip of him and how he communicates with players. I mean, that's what so many, not just head coaches, but coaches in general don't have. The ability to get on the level of a player and communicate and get the most out of each individual player because you can't just be one way with all of the athletes. You have to understand what buttons to push, what makes a guy tick, how can I maximize his effort, his value to this team, how can I continue to encourage him when he's made a mistake, when he's had a bad game, when he's had a bad practice. And you can hear that in his voice when he's you know, talking to, I don't know, even know who he's talking to in that clip, but when he's talking to one of his players to get down on their level and communicate with them to get the most out of them. Do you have the respect of those individuals, Paul, not just in your own position room, but the entire locker room? And that's what you want from your head coach, not maybe to be buddy-buddy, but to someone that can maybe put the finger in your face or tell you what you did right, what you did wrong, what you need to see happen Next play, next game. I go back to the Giants and that turnaround Brian Dable engineered. And the story from September was there was a moment when Daniel Jones really messed something up during a game. And the head coach, the new head coach, a first-time head coach, Brian Dable with a franchise quarterback, aired him out on the sideline for everyone to see. And at that moment, the rest of the team realized, okay, we're all on equal footing. Everyone's being held accountable. You need to be that guy. Lou Anarumo appears to me to have that capability, yet he also has that relationship, that connection with players. And I'll cite something D'Amico Ryans said this last week to the Houston media, said the best advice he ever received as a coach was that, quote, players don't care about how much you know, they're focused on how much you care. Would you say that's accurate, Kyle? Oh, absolutely. Uh, You don't ever want to be talked to are talked at you want you want to have conversations and work through your problems like I can't coach I can't understand this scheme I don't understand why I'm dropping over here I don't understand why you know why my footwork can't get right on this play and to have a coach understand and listen and but at the same time let you understand and let you know it's your job to figure it out. I'm here to assist you in any way you can but if you can't get it done we'll find somebody that can and again to your point this is how I picture him running a team. You know, look, everybody is accountable. I don't care if you're the number three overall pick this year, you don't get a pass. I don't care if you've been a starter in this league for 10 years, you don't get a pass. Everybody puts in the same work. Everybody shows up to practice. Everybody has the same expectation on Sundays. Goes back to Bruce Arians, Paul, the accountability board. And hearing B.A. air out Larry Fitzgerald in front of everyone. And that became the, all right, we're all on the same page. We're all on equal footing. Where do we go from here? That is a great point. And you know what? It, it, it fits. That makes so much sense because in so many ways, Lou Anarumo reminds me of Bruce Arians, who was hired at age 60. 
late in his career. Now, of course, he had the interim head coaching gig with the Colts. He had some experience there, but he was a guy that got the chance late in his career, and he ended up being, obviously, an NFL Coach of the Year at one point, and I think, still think to this day that was by design, holding the franchise guy, the guy on a first-name basis with the state of Arizona, accountable in front of everybody. The goal of whomever the next Cardinals head coach will be, the Super Bowl. We'll touch on Super Bowl 57 as we continue here. It's the Cardinals Red Sea Report on the Arizona Cardinals Radio Network. The Eagles have been the NFC's best team all season long. Zero's on the clock and they will carry that momentum with big wins in the divisional round against the Giants and here in the championship round against San Francisco all the way to Arizona and Super Bowl 57. The Philadelphia Eagles are going to the Super Bowl again. A convincing 31-7 win over San Francisco. It is over! The Kansas City Chiefs are going to the Super Bowl for the third time in four years. The Chiefs win the AFC Championship and get revenge against the Bengals. 23-20, the final at Arrowhead. It'll be the Chiefs and the Eagles in Super Bowl 57. And that game is coming up on Sunday, State Farm Stadium, 4.30 on Fox, Chiefs and Eagles. Philadelphia, by the way, for those that care, the designated home team in that game on Sunday as we welcome you back here to the Cardinals Red Sea Report presented by SeatGeek. Your ticket to great seats, and it should be a great game, at least on paper here, Kyle, because for the first time in five years, you've got both top seeds reaching the Super Bowl, two very good offenses and two very good defenses. Yeah, you're exactly right. Um, what an intriguing matchup. I mean, it's so many weapons, so many potential playmakers on any given play on both sides of the ball. I mean, you've got um, – you know, you've got pass rushers on both sides. You've got really good offensive lines, two of the top offensive lines in the league. You've got uh, two good running games. You've got two young uh, dual threat quarterbacks. I mean, in a lot of ways, these are, you know, very similar teams. And it's going to be whoever shows up and just plays better that day. It's so hard to just look at this game on paper and say this team has a decisive advantage in this area because it, it, there really isn't. Um, other than, you know, to me, the the Chiefs have all of this playoff experience and they've been here and they've done it and, and it's, you know, the moment isn't too big. But at the same time, um, there's a lot of key veterans on the Eagles team um, that, that I could see stepping up and, and being a big factor in the outcome of this game. Well, you just have to look at the Kelsey brothers. Jason Kelsey of the Eagles Center was part of that Philadelphia championship team a couple of years back, and then Travis Kelsey, the tight end with the Chiefs. That's one major storyline with Mom Donna being a big focal point of all the TV crews. But it's it's fascinating because you have two teams that are equally good at both offense and defense. And you know what? You have two teams that are healthy. It's remarkable when you look at these two teams. And do you realize that the Eagles have every one of their 22 week one starters are going to be on the field for Super Bowl 57? And then think of the season the Cardinals just endured. So they're talented and they're healthy. 
They have the quarterbacks, the first-team All-Pro against the second-team All-Pro, Patrick Mahomes and Jalen Hurts. And to Kyle's point, they can get to the quarterback. Can they not? Eagles with 70 sacks this year. The Kansas City Chiefs were top three in sacks. They were safe in his second yeah. with 55. There you go. And so, and so they... So if you're looking for the formula right now, quarterback, get to the quarterback, stay healthy. You have talent all around at every single position. But to me, the difference, and you guys can agree or disagree, and I know you will, that Eagles offensive line. The Eagles offensive line, to me, what they did against that Niners defensive front, and I know it was, it was, it was a tight game until things got sideways, and obviously the Niners had no chance when they had no quarterback. But that Philadelphia offensive line that had a dozen first down runs in the NFC Championship, they had a half dozen chunk runs of 10 or more yards. I, I just think Jalen Hurts has a better chance of staying clean in this game, and it gives the Eagles a better chance of winning. Eagles rushed for 148 yards and four touchdowns against that 49ers defense to get to the Super Bowl. And we always say, Kyle, it always begins and ends at the line of scrimmage. Can you block? Can you get to the quarterback? And that's where I think more so than any other game, yeah, the quarterback's always gets the attention, but there's been a lot of talk over these past week and a half about the line of scrimmage. Who can control that line of scrimmage? Oh, You're exactly right. And that was against, I think the Niners might have had the best run defense in the league. Um, in the yep. regular season. So, um, you know, and this is what this is a whole separate subject, not talking about this game, but when we talk about what do the Cardinals look like and how do they build this team? Because, um, you know, there is going to be so much turnover in this roster, but, you know, we talk about building it inside out. You look at these two teams and, you know, everybody wants to look at the quarterbacks, everybody wants to look at the weapons at wide receiver or tight end or the running backs, but, it, you know, the success of these two teams is largely because of the offensive lines. Uh, you know, the, the Chiefs invested heavily in their offensive line a couple of years ago. Um, the Eagles have probably the best, most talented, as Paulie was saying, offensive line in the league. And then the defensive lines, the ability to, once you get that lead, to close the deal, to get the pressure on the quarterback, to get hits and, and affect the game that way. Um, to me, I mean, that's uh, I'm, I'm probably an anomaly, but when I watch football, I love watching good offensive lines against good defensive lines and see who can play better. And to me, that will be the factor because the skill position, both sides have so many skill players, have so many elite athletes, but it's the battle in the trenches that's going to make the difference in this game. What Aaron Donald did last year for the Rams, look what Chris Jones has done, especially in that AFC championship for the Chiefs. So if you want to tie it into the Cardinals, if they're sitting there at number three and Jalen Carter is that dude, if Jalen Carter is him, as the kids say, if he's 99 or 95, in this case, Chris Jones this year, then you know what? You automatically run that card up to the podium and you take Jalen Carter. Or you just get the edge rusher, Will Anderson, because you talk about what these teams have been able to do as far as get to the opposing quarterback. And let's give some credit where credit is due. Hassan Reddick, where it all began for him several years ago, now culminates in the biggest game of his career. And he was very complimentary, Paul, during Super Bowl opening night on his stint with the Arizona Cardinals. Yes, it did not go well. But in his mind, he's where he's at because of the struggles that he went through earlier in his career. 19 and a half sacks in 19 games, and Jonathan Gannon was quoted last month as saying, you know what, he would have had 25 sacks this year if I didn't drop him in coverage so much. So he's been really good. My question, though, to you, Kyle, is look at all the other dudes in that defensive front. How much has Hassan Reddick benefited? How much has he gotten those sack numbers and those pressures because of everybody else along that defensive line, the Brandon Grahams, the Fletcher Coxes and company? It is 
really hard. I mean, there's a special few that can do it by themselves. They can take over games. They can get sacks. They can put up numbers without their help. I wasn't one of those guys. I benefited lining up next to Albert Hainsworth in Tennessee, lining up next to Indomitian Sue, having Cliff Averill opposite of me. They could selectively chip me, but they couldn't double-team me every single play. And when you have that many dudes, and, and again, going back to the 49ers, look, the 49ers draft a defensive lineman in the first or second round every single year, and it shows. Like, their front is winning games for them. In spite of, again, everybody wants to look at their skill positions, when you have a dominant defensive front, um, you can you can carry that. You can ride that defensive front all the way to the playoffs and at times even to the Super Bowl because those are the guys that change games. They're the ones that force bad throws that that disrupt the timing and and you know even potentially rattle your quarterback early in the game or even injure a quarterback. Four different Eagles players finish with 10 or more sacks and when you look at the quarterbacks in this game that's where the real question marks are how healthy is a Patrick Mahomes dealing with a high ankle sprain did not seem to bother him too much in the AFC championship game yes he was hobbled but he's now had two weeks to rest up Jalen Hurts that shoulder that kept him out of a couple of games late in the season didn't seem to bother him too much against the 49ers though they were able to run the ball effectively against the 49ers. Should be a lot of fun on Sunday again, 4.30 at State Farm Stadium. If you're not able to get to the game, like Kyle Vandenbosch over there, who will be in attendance, Paul and I, well, you just turn on the TV and watch. Casa Calvisi, that's my ticket. Thanks, Kyle. Appreciate it. You you had extra tickets, but you found other people to go with you. Well, I invited my friends. (laughs) We'll just let that hang. That hurts. out of the shotgun. He takes it. Facing pressure. He's in trouble. He's spun around. He's able to get away. Looks to throw. He does downfield and a leaping catch is made down at the 25. What a play. Nima Tyree comes up with the ball. Morris is to the left and here is Manning throwing for the end zone. Touchdown Morris! And the Giants are back on top with only 35 seconds remaining. Puts the knee down and that will do it. And one of the biggest upsets in NFL history. The Giants have beat the previously unbeaten Patriots and have won Super Bowl 42. In the shotgun, there's the snap. It's built high. Quick throw. It's intercepted at the goal line. It's intercepted by Malcolm Butler. Malcolm Butler is intercepted Russell Wilson at the goal line. 20 seconds left. Flashback to the two most recent Super Bowls to be held in the state of Arizona. You heard Marv Alberts on Westwood 1, Super Bowl 42. The Giants upsetting the undefeated Patriots 17-14 with the David Tyree helmet catch. And then Kevin Harlan on Westwood 1. The decision not to hand the ball off to Marshawn Lynch. And the Patriots beat the Seahawks 28-24 in Super Bowl 49. As a defensive player, Kyler, is there is there a worse way to lose a game via the helmet catch or to see your running back not get the ball and score? I, I think see a running back not get the ball because, I mean, that, that seemed like everybody in America was watching that game um, just assuming that Marshawn Lynch was going to run it in game over. 
Um, yeah, it'd be, that'd be tough. Um, actually, a friend of mine, Cliff Averill, I mentioned earlier, he's staying with me the next couple of days, and he was on the field for that, and that still eats at him. It, it, it bothers him a lot. I think it destroyed the Seahawks. I, I, honestly, I, there was so much vitriol internally at Daryl Bevel or Pete Carroll, whoever's responsible for getting too cute instead of handing it off to Beast Mode at the one-yard line. I was at the game covering the game. I was in auxiliary media seating, otherwise known as the upper, upper, <laughs> upper deck, where you can actually touch the rafters. That's how far removed I was from the field. But it was at that end. And there were Seahawks fans when they got down to the goal line who were talking trash to Patriots fans. And then all of a sudden there was a reversal of fate and fortune. And so, uh, yeah, maybe there was a little karma involved there. But think of how angry Richard Sherman was. It wasn't just Cliff Averill. And think they held that against Daryl Bevel and – I think it just aided the team inside out and it ruined their dynasty before really the shelf life should have expired. That's okay with me. I'm not going to shed any tears. (laughs) Couldn't happen to a nicer team or fan base. (laughs) Question is, though, now, Paul, what to expect here? Do we get that kind of a wild finish between the Chiefs and Eagles? Now, no one expected the Giants to beat the Patriots, and it was a much better and even more evenly matched game when the Patriots played the Seahawks in 2015. But now there is a... There is there is a level that's been set for Super Bowls here in Arizona. No doubt. I mean, you know, you, you can look at various stats. We talked about the line of scrimmage. You can look at some of the superfluous stuff, how Kansas City is wearing the white jerseys, and the team wearing the white jersey has won 15 of the last 18 Super Bowls. So just keep that in mind, Kyle. That's some hard-hitting analysis there when you go to Super Bowl 57. Uh, you can look at, I don't experience factor, Andy Reid, has been there and done that as a head coach. He knows the whole preparation. Nick Sirianni, obviously, a first-timer and a a young head coach. And most of those Eagle players, now you have a Jason Kelsey and some of those throwbacks to the Doug Peterson, Nick Foles Super Bowl. But I really wonder if experience in handling the magnitude of the moment is in favor of Kansas City and enables them to get off to a better start. You got a prediction, Kyle, here? Well, uh, Paulie's white jersey prediction, uh, I'm looking to pay for these Super Bowl tickets. So uh, can I place a big bet on uh, on the white jerseys? Is it is that going to pay for my tickets? I, I, I'm not going to be responsible for that. Just like I was not responsible as the media member last night who asked Nick Sirianni, is the Super Bowl a must-win game, coach? Somebody asked him if the Super Bowl is a must-win game. Uh, and he deadpanned it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know what you do with that guy's media credential? Just... You're done, dude. You're done. (laughs) Super Bowl 57 coming up on Sunday. We'll talk about it in one week's time. Special thanks. Jim Omohundro, Cody Fincher behind the scenes. For Paul Calvisi, Kyle Vandenbosch, I'm Craig Riolu. This has been the Cardinals Red Sea Report on the Arizona Cardinals Radio Network. You've been listening to the Cardinals Red Sea Report. 15-10-5, touchdown, Zach Ertz. Buda Baker with the sack, stripped the ball. Murray's going to score, touchdown. Oh, baby. The Cardinals Red Sea Report is brought to you by the Arizona Cardinals mobile app. Visit azcardinals.com slash app. Touchdown, Cardinals win. This has been an exclusive presentation of the Arizona Cardinals Football Club. Oh.